Book of Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. When you got it, say so. And this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, what is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. But after that, no one dared question him. Hallelujah. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your word that is the mirror of our lives, Father God, that we can look into and examine ourselves by it. This morning, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord God, challenging us, Lord God, revealing yourself, and above all things, Lord God, convicting us of what you want us to be more like, showing us, Lord God, what your requirements are, and helping us to align with them. Father, we thank you. For your truth, may it set us free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As you will notice today, we are not in the book of Nehemiah, which was our next step in our series on Built to Last. And the reason for that is because as I was praying and just asking the Lord what it is that he wanted me to share specifically, I felt impressed in my heart to share this little, what I call a mini-series, and it's going to be for the next four weeks as we end our year. And usually, once a year, I try to have a series done regarding our discipleship process in Faith Dome. You know, Pastor Robert gets up here on Sundays, and he communicates very well and makes sure that he reminds us every Sunday, you know, gets us to, in unison, say we are committed to loving God, growing together, reaching others, and serving. But what I realize is this, is that our physical bodies are where we are, we are told or we are advised that we should annually go to the doctor and get a checkup. No matter how healthy you've been all year, no matter how right you've been eating or wrong, hello somebody, no, ma- no, no, no matter what, this, what, 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 what you've been doing, you are recommended to go see your doctor annually so that way your doctor can come and he can, you know, Get your, you know, temperature, check your breathing and ask you all kind of, you know, questions, glory to God, to see how you're really doing. Because sometimes we think that we're doing okay, but in reality, we're not. Hello. I had a brother, uh, uh, one of the pastors in Oviedo, he actually, um, he's a pastor of Antioch Baptist Church. And he was, um, he went to his doctor's appointment, you know, one year, everything was good, went to the doctor, you know, he's about 45, I think, around there. And he went there, got checked up, clean bill of health, everything's good to go. And, and, and he was later on in, in the next year or something like that, he said, man, I don't know, I just, something, he just felt like he needed to go back to the doctor to get a check. When he went to the back to the doctor to get a check, you know, the doc, doctor says, hey, you know, what's up? You know, why, why are you here? You know, you don't, you don't got to be back here for, you know, for this full check for another three years. And he's like, nah, doc, I, I feel like, you know, you need to just check me out. 
So the doctor checks him out, and when the doctor did the check, he finds that he's got a lump in his prostate. And so he ended up going into surgery. He said, if we would have waited those two years, there would have been nothing we could have do for you in two years from now when you come back for your check. So it's important, and it, it, it is vital for us as physically, okay? So take that as a physical thing, all right? Glory to God. Make sure you're getting your checkups. Hallelujah. Make sure you pay attention to yourself. That's important. But spiritually, it is important that we don't just get checkups annually. Hello. But that we get checkups daily, glory to God, that we are daily, and I, I said it last week, that we are daily in this word, that we don't just get into this word once a week, that we don't just hear the word. Listen, if the only time you hear the word of God or you read the Bible is when I say open to, my brother, my sister, you have issues. Hello. I, I know, I, I know, I ain't going to get, get a bunch of amens, but it's all right, praise the Lord. Because the truth of the matter is that if you're not in this word daily, then there's an issue. Because let me ask you this. How many of you wait for Sunday to eat? How many of you only eat once a week and only eat a little bit? Did you hear what I just said? A little bit. I usually read like five, six, seven, eight verses. Hello, somebody. And, 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 and so the reason why you don't wait to eat once a week is because you would be starving. Hello, you would be most definitely unhealthy. You wouldn't be able to handle that. How do you think your spirit is? Hello, somebody. If you are not in this word daily, you are malnutrition spiritually. And it is important that we are a people that are very healthy spiritually. Amen. And that's the reason for this series. And so this is what I have entitled the annual checkup. Glory to God. We're we going to have an annual checkup, and we will begin with the first message entitled, Your First Love, Your First Love. And Jesus gives us some examples. He gives us some things that he shows us. He communicates to his disciples about being a disciple, about being and making disciples. And so for us, our goal as a disciple-making church is to make sure that we are living out these commitments here. And here's the thing, is that the only way that we are going to collectively be able to live out these commitments is when we are individually living out these commitments. Are you with me here? If we are not individually loving God by ourselves, one-on-one -on -one with him, if we are not committed to loving him, then when we come together, it ain't going to be good. Hello. People have wrong attitudes. People have wrong spirit. People don't care about the Lord the same way. Treatment of people is different. Worship is not where it needs to be. Listen, I'm going to let you know right now. One of the greatest measures of how much folks really love God is how much we experience him during worship. Hello, somebody. I, I didn't say it's how, how much you jump, scream, or shout. That is not what I said. But what I said is it, is it is very clear and very evident when folks really love God on their own because when they come together, listen, this is just another opportunity for us to love on the king of glory. And it's amazing because Jesus gives this wonderful word. He says that when two or more gather together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And while God shows up, while we are on a one-on-one -on -one with him, something happens when we we collectively come together and we begin to worship and honor and love on him, he moves at a whole nother level. Amen, somebody. And so we find that if we are not committed to loving him on a one-on-one, -on -one, when we come together, our loving him is going to be, uh. The next thing comes right along the same line. If we're not committed as individuals to growing together, if we're not committed in our heart, listen, it's going to be a struggle for you to come to church any other day but Sunday and sometimes on Sundays. Hello, somebody. Mm-hmm. This next four weeks, y'all going to love me, glory to God. But it's all right. We don't necessarily like our doctor when he's telling us, hey, man, you need to eat a little bit less. 
need to stop eating that salt. You need to change your diet a little bit, glory to God. We don't want to hear that stuff, but we need him, amen? And so you need this word, glory to God. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you need this word. Mm-hmm. I told you last week, don't turn the preacher off. Turn him back on, glory to God. I know you think you got it all together, but let me help you to understand, ain't none of us got it all together, amen? If we did, we would not be sitting here. We would be in heaven with him, amen, somebody? And so as long as we are here, we need to get some stuff together, glory to God. So we realize this, that if we're not committed on an individual level to loving God, on an individual level to loving God, it's not going to happen corporately. We're not committed to growing together individually in our personal lives. not going to happen. If we're not committed to reaching others, it is not going to happen. If we're not doing it personally, it's definitely not going to happen collectively and corporately. And if we are not committed to serving, hello, somebody, it is just not going to happen. And so we've got to make sure that our commitments are the way that they need to be. So as a disciple, here's the thing, church. As a disciple, each of us should have a life vision. Each of us should have a, should have a life vision. You see, most everybody, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but most everybody in here, if I ask the question, are you a disciple? Meaning, are you saved? Are you walking with Christ? Most every hand will pop up in this place. Well, then that means that every single person in here should have a life vision. What do I mean by a life vision? I do not mean just goals, okay? I don't mean like you just need to go and accomplish this. You need to graduate school. You need to go and get this. I'm not talking about that stuff. Those are goals. That's not a life vision that I'm talking about. When I'm talking about a life vision, a life vision is something that it, it it, it literally drives you daily. It is something that pulls you during seasons of difficulty, and it is something that directs you during times of confusion and decision making. When you have a life, a life goal, this 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 goal in, 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 in pleasing the Lord, that is what I'm talking about. What the vision of faith dome is is very simple. It is to please God in everything that we do. That is the vision that drives this church. It, it drives and directs all of the decisions we make, everything that we teach, everything that we preach everything that we do as ministry outreach events all of that stuff is driven by one solitary thing and it is that we want to please God we want to make sure that everything that we do pleases God Almighty that's all we want to do and it should be the same thing as for you as an individual you should be living your life to do what to please him that's your life vision made it real simple a life vision is what we all got to have amen the fruitfulness of our lives will be directly connected to our passions the fruitfulness of our lives will be directly connected to our passions. When you look at the things that you love to do, the things that you're going to be fruitful in, it's going to be, those are going to be the things you're passionate about. You might be, listen, you, you, might, you might be good at something and not be passionate about it. Hello? You may be good at something. There's people, they, they can play instruments, but they're not passionate about that. They, they, they're good at it. They get on there easy, real simple, but they're not passionate. So you know what? It's not going to be fruitful the way that it should be. What we're passionate about is what we're going to be fruitful in. Therefore, we need to make sure that we're passionate about the right things. And again, I'm talking today a message entitled, Your First Love. We should be fruitful in our relationship with God Almighty. And the way that we are going to do that is by making sure that he is our first love. Hello. The first thing, repeat this after me, say, we need to understand why God commands love from us. First of all, I want you to know, God is not some egotistical somebody who created everything, who is seated up on a throne and says, everyone needs to come bow and worship me. That is not God Almighty. 
God Almighty is not up there just saying, well, you need to worship me because I am so great, I am so mighty, I am so awesome, I am so wise, I am so powerful. He's not doing all of that, church. That is, God, God is not on some power trip. Hello, somebody. There is a reason why God wants us to love him first, and it is because when you love something or you love someone, there is a spontaneous desire. There is something inside of us that automatically wants to please them. Hello. When you love your wife, listen, it, it is going to happen. When you love your wife, when you love a friend, when you love a coworker, when you love them, you are going to want to do what it takes to make them happy. That's the bottom line. And so why does God command us to love him? Because he doesn't want robots. Hello? Did you hear me? He doesn't want miserable folks. Yes, I'm serving the Lord, but I'm miserable. I hate this. I'm saying no to sin, but I would really love to just be sinning. I'm not going to this place, and I'm going to church, but I hate this. You think, do you think that that's what God wants from us? Listen, church, he wants you to love him. He wants your obedience to be driven, not because you know what you have to do, but because you love the one you're doing it for. He wants you to be passionate, not, and, and hear me, he doesn't want you to just be passionate about things. He wants you to be passionate about him. Hear me, church. He doesn't want you to just be passionate about playing an instrument or singing. He doesn't want you to just be passionate about teaching or preaching. He doesn't want you to be passionate about church attendance. No, he wants you to be passionate about him first and then be passionate about that. See, because here's what happens. If, for some reason, the instrument, you can't play it anymore, you're still going to love him. If, for some reason, Wednesday night Bible study doesn't happen, guess what? You're still going to study the word because of what? Because you love him. Hello. When you don't have all of those things, and that is why it is important for us to love him first, because he understands this. When he commands us to love him, it is because he knows how much we need to love him first. He's giving us a command that is a safeguard. Hello, somebody. You see, because when we love God first, what does that do? That brings our lives into alignment with him, which when, we're, we're, when, we're, when we are in alignment with him, it will deliver us from much unnecessary heartache, much unnecessary disappointment, and the ill effects of loving something or someone more than him. You see, when I love him more than anything else, what happens is I come into alignment with his will. I come into alignment with his purposes. When I am making decisions or I'm doing things, I am not just thinking about my own feelings, but I am thinking about him. How is this going to please him? How is this going to honor him? How is this going to bring glory to him? And can I tell you something, church? Anything that is going to bring glory to him is not going to be detrimental for you, even if it hurts. Did you hear me? Anything that brings glory to him is not going to be destructive to you, even if it's painful. Even if it doesn't feel good at the moment, it is going to be something that is going to produce life. That is the reason why we know that all things work together for good, for them that love the Lord and are the called, of, and, and are the called according to his purpose. For them that love him, church, when we love him, whatever it is that we may face, we're not going to be taken by that thing and overwhelmed because what? I'm overwhelmed by something greater than myself circumstance 
I'm overwhelmed by something greater than whatever I'm going to face. And so what do we realize? When God is our first love, nothing will shake the foundation of our lives. No matter what it is that we go through, the foundation of our lives won't be shaken because what? Because he is our first love. Now, that doesn't mean that we may not totter. Hello, somebody. That doesn't mean that we may not feel, you know, the effects of a situation. That doesn't mean that we may not cry or we may not go through some emotion or something. But what I'm saying is your foundation, where you are standing, will not be shaken because bottom line is my foundation is right. And I may be bawling, but I'm going to know that I do not need to move because I am connected to the king of glory. I am connected to the one who has called me by name. I'm connected to the one who loved me before I could love myself. I'm connected to the one who gave me life and life eternal. I'm connected to the one who's given me promises that are yes and amen in him. I'm connected to the one who has delivered me from sin and shown me the way of life. And I understand that because I love him. Situations can come and me and my God are going to walk through it. So when you love him first, see, these all, this all part of the checkup, glory to God. Taking your heartbeat right now. Breathe deep, glory to God. Let's hear the heartbeat. When you're going through stuff, <laughs> when you're going through stuff, when you're going through things, where's the first place that you run to? Hello, somebody. Are you running to the one who is your foundation, who is your rock? When he is your first love, nothing can break our hearts beyond repair. Did you hear me? I, I, I didn't say nothing to break our hearts because stuff's going to break our hearts, church. There are some situations that are going to be heartbreaking. There are going to be some situations that we are going to go through that are going to devastate us. But you know what? That doesn't mean that our hearts are broken beyond repair. See, because today I may be sowing in tears, but tomorrow I will reap in joy. See, we've got to understand that this is what God, this is what our God that loves us and says, love me first. If you love me first, then guess what? You are putting your heart in my hands so I can guard it. Hello. I can keep it and I can restore it. So when you love him first, nothing, nothing will cause you to lose your faith in him. These are all little tests, church. So you, you, you know if you really love him first when you start experiencing stuff and all of a sudden you don't have faith no more. I, I, I've talked to plenty of folks like that. They listen, they are on fire. Everything is wonderful until God doesn't answer a prayer. Did you hear me? And I want you to understand something. God answers all prayer. Some prayer is just a no. Some prayer is just wait. And other prayers are yes. Most people do, do not like yet no, and they do not like wait. They really hate wait. Because if they could hear no, some of them would be like, all right, I'm upset. I wanted it to be a yes, but it's a no, and I can live with it. At least I got an answer. But when God is just being silent, he ain't saying nothing. That, 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 that's when it becomes more difficult. Listen, when we're going through these things, these are all tests to see, do I really love him first? The second thing, please repeat this after me. We need a biblical definition of what qualifies as really loving God. You and I cannot accept our own definition of what loving God means any more than we can accept our own definition as what our spouse's definition of love is and expect to please them. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to read it again for you. We cannot accept 
our own definition of what loving God means any more than we can accept our own definition of love as what our spouse's definition of love is and expect to please them. In other words, I cannot sit here and just think, well, you know what? This is what I like. This is what I would want. This is what I desire. And therefore, that's what I'm going to do for them, and they're going to be happy. You understand? You can't do that. You know why? Because you and your spouse probably feel a little bit different about how to show love. Hello, somebody. Most, 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 most couples have this thing in common that they just, you know, I, he, he likes this. I like that. She likes to talk late at night until two, you know, laying in the bed. I'm, I'm jumping in the bed ready to go to sleep, and she wants to have a full-blown conversation. I feel like her showing me she loves me is just being quiet. And let's go to sleep. She feels like me showing her I love her is me listening. Yes, babe, I'm wide open. Glory to God. I had a rough day, long day, but I'm here ready to talk. Let me sit up. Let's turn on the lights. Glory to God. Let's just do this. Listen, I'm not talking about my wife. Praise the Lord. I just want you to know that. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. I just got to let you know that. I was talking about someone else's situation. I wasn't there, but I know that's how it happens. Glory to God. So here's the issue. The issue is that we have different definitions of love. Well, can I help you to understand something about God Almighty? His definition of what he wants from us to love him is a little bit different sometimes than ours. And so it's important that we look at the scripture. So the scripture that we are looking at here in the book of Mark chapter 12 gives us some great insight. Now, Jesus, I love this particular portion of scripture here and, the, and, and what happens because we don't normally get glimpses of the scribes and Pharisees or anybody being impressed with Jesus other than the people that believed in him. But here's what happens in this particular portion. In this particular portion of scripture, if you look at the beginning there in verse um, 12, I'm sorry here. In, yeah, in verse 28, I'm sorry. Verse 28, it says this. It says, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? So this scribe comes over there and, and, and Jesus has had one of the longest days of his life, I think. He was cursing fig trees. He was telling him about the resurrection. He was talking about all of these different things that were going on. People were trying to catch him up and, 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 and come conversations they were asking him all kind of questions and he's just answering them and one of these scribes I guess was watching him all this time and saying man this guy's got an answer for everyone he says so let me go and bring him this question he's a little impressed with Christ and he's coming to him to ask him a question because there was there was this debate you know in those times the scribes they had figured out that there were like 613 laws that had to be abided by there were like 613 things there were 365 negative laws meaning that there was one law for every day that was a thou shalt not and then they had like two 280 something or some, somewhere, somewhere around there of laws that were positive. This is what you should do. And so they knew all of these laws and all this stuff. And, and even though they agreed on how many laws there were about the, you know, the negative ones and the positive ones, there was still a debate about which ones were the most important. Which one is the ones, or which, which are the ones that have the most weight to them? Which is the one that is the, that, that is the primary, the foundational one that you can live off? And because they're bringing this to Jesus, well, Jesus is going to bring them a glorious and wonderful answer. He repeats to them a part of the Shema, which is something that these Jewish people used to read every day. This was part of what they did. Every morning, they would all get up agreeing, look, we're all going to read the same thing. This was part of our prayer. Hear, O Israel, your God is one God. This is what they did every day. 
day. And so Jesus comes and said, listen, I'm not bringing no crazy heresy. I'm going to let you know that this is the first and foundational principle that you need to be abiding by. And it is this. It is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And so he gives them this definition of what love is. And it's real easy. I could just get up here and just say what God is basically saying is that you need to love him with all of your heart. I could say that and walk away and go to the next point. But I don't want to do that. I want us to look at these four little points here that he makes. Because the first one he says that you should love the Lord with all of your heart. Or out of your heart is the way another translation says it. Out of your heart is the, is the way that you should love him. And what is the heart defined as when you look at it throughout the scriptures? The heart is the seat of the emotions. It is the place from where all of your feeling comes. And so what is he saying? He's saying, listen, you need to love the Lord your God with a primary passion, with a pure passion. With a Not again, we go back to what we said, that he doesn't want robots. He doesn't want miserable people. He wants people that are committed from their emotional being, from the emotional part, that they will be devoted to him. So first of all, you need to love me with all of your heart, all of your feeling, all of your passion. And then he goes on and he says, you should love me with all of your soul. So what is the soul? Well, you guys that have been through phase one, you know that we're this tripartite being and, you know, we're body, soul, and spirit. And our body is, is earth conscious, is, you know, taste, touch, and all that stuff. And then we understand that our spirit is the God conscious or the part that's, uh, that is conscious to the spirit realm, right? Well, what is the soul? The soul is the part that is self conscience it is the part that is all about me it is who I am and so what is he saying he's saying first of all you need to love me from the seat of your emotion first of all you need to love me from the purest place within you the place that look it is your choice to either give your heart or to hold it back you can say you gave it but you know if you did or you didn't and, and, and as time progresses you'll see it but then he says I want you to love me with all of your soul with all of who you are with everything that you are I want you to love me with all of your being all but here but here, here's the thing is that when you talk about self this is the place where you are going to either follow your desires or his desires. This is the place that you are either going to follow your body and its senses and all of its feeling good and I want to do this. Or you're going to follow your spirit which should be leading you, hello, to God. And so in your soul, when you love him out of your soul and with all of your soul, what does that mean? That means that you are putting him before yourself. Putting his will before your will. Putting his desires before your desires. This is part of God's definition. And he goes on to say, and to love him, and to love him with all of our mind. So we've got the heart, we've got the soul, and then we've got the mind. Why is this important? Because listen, God doesn't want you to just be emotional. He doesn't just want you to be making all kind of self-sacrifices without knowing why. Did you hear me? He wants you to have a clear understanding as to why you're saying no to this desire. He wants you to have a clear understanding of why you're saying yes to these things that you don't necessarily want to do. Hello, somebody. You know, like things like loving your enemy. Like praying for those who spitefully use you. Hello, somebody. Nobody wants to do that. But why are you doing it? You're doing it because you have an understanding that this is the will of God. 
So when he says to love him with all, of, with all of our mind, God desires us not only to understand why we're doing what we do, but he also wants us to be disciplined, church, disciplined. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you need to be disciplined in your mind if you're going to love God according to his definition. That's a, long, that, that's a long quote there, right? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Listen. Your mind can't be all over the place if you're loving him with your mind because that means your thoughts have to be in line with him. Hello, somebody. That means that when you're, this is what you got to think about. When you are throughout your day in a norm, where is your mind at? Are you letting your mind wander into sinful activity? Or are you controlling your mind through the word of God? Are you allowing your mind to go places that it shouldn't go? entertain thoughts it shouldn't entertain or are you disciplined in your thinking and it's not about you because it's about you allowing the Holy Spirit to do it because it's not you or I that is going to be able to just control our mind hello somebody but it is by us allowing God's word to bring captive every one of our thoughts into the subjection and to the submission of who Christ is how do we do that well we talked about it earlier on when I said if you weren't doing this you had issues if you're not in this word every day How's your mind going to be disciplined? See, that's why it's beautiful to start your day off with some good word in your life. I love Pastor Marisol. She, she, she does a great job of helping you just in case, and I know she doesn't do it for this reason, but I'm going to throw it out there. Just in case you forgot to read your word before you went to work today. Hello, somebody. Just in case you forgot to get down and, you know, get with God or whatever. Usually there's, a, there's an email that comes. It's a forward from Proverbs 31, woman, glory to God. And all of these different things, and it has some scriptures there. Got a little story. Make it real easy, praise the Lord, for you to meditate on God Almighty. Listen, you can use a, a, a devotion like that, or you can simply sit down and say, look, as I'm going through the word, I'm going to find a scripture within the scriptures that I was reading today that I'm going to meditate on. Did you hear what I just said? This is the way that you love God with with your mind because what you are doing is you are working together with his spirit to allow your mind to be renewed so that way you change your way of thinking hello imperative for us to do that and the last thing he says he says to love the lord thy god with all of thy strength when you look up this word strength, it is the word that means abilities or capabilities. And so what does that mean for us? That means that we are supposed to love God with all of our abilities. And what do I mean by that? Well, whenever we have opportunities, opportunities are going to be met with ability. People are not going to allow you to come and work in a place if you can't do it. Hello, somebody. Did you hear that? If you, if you don't qualify for the job, if you don't have the abilities to do the job, they're not going to hire you. It's just not going to happen. They're looking for someone. And here's the beauty about God. When a door opens for you, it is because he has already supplied you with the ability to accomplish that task. Hello. And so what does that mean? That means that whatever ability God has given you that is going to be exercised in this opportunity is something that we need to make sure that we are honoring and glorifying him with all of our strength, with all of our effort, that we are doing everything within this situation that we are in. Whatever it may be, listen, if you have children, then you have the ability to be a good parent. Amen, somebody. If you have parents, hallelujah, glory to God, you have the ability to be a good child. Praise the living God. If 
You Listen, no matter where you are, praise the Lord, you can be a person who exemplifies and gives glory to God. And God has given you this ability. And so if you're going to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength, you're going to love him with all of your being. So what does this mean in a nutshell if we're going to do this definition? Loving God by his definition is to love him with all of our being, without reserve, without limitation, and without condition. Hello, somebody. Loving him with all of our being is to love him without reserve, meaning I'm not holding anything back from him. If he wants it, it's his. Did you hear me? I'm not going to limit my love towards him. I'm not only going to love him for an hour a day and then I've done my quota. No, 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 no. I'm going to love him. If he tells me that I got to get up in the middle of my favorite show and go pray, I'm not going to walk away with my, oh, my goodness, I got to go pray. I can't even enjoy my own shit. Lord, don't you? Hold on a second. Whose life is this, church? Is it your life or is it his? Are you loving him without limitation, without reserve? If he tells me not to participate in certain activities, I'm not going to, I'm not, well, I, I want to go do this. No, no, no. Listen, listen. I, 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 want, I, want, I want to say this because, you know, sometimes folks say, make this quote, and I, I'm going to probably mess up the quote anyway because I hate it so much. But anyway, what they say is, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. I don't think I messed it up. I think I did a pretty good justice, right? I hate that quote. Because you know what they're saying? They're saying, go on ahead and do what you want to do, and then ask for forgiveness later. That's not God. That's not the right mindset, especially when you're coming before the Lord of glory. That's how you become a hypocrite. Did you hear what I just said? That's calling you abusing the grace of God. You know that this is wrong. That's why, that, that's why they made the quote, because you know that this is a, an area that, you know, it's kind of a gray area. Listen, you need to fix them gray areas. Go on ahead and ask what the right thing is and do the right thing. Hello, somebody. Get into the word of God. Find out what the scriptures say on it. Go on ahead and communicate with whoever you need to and do what is right. Don't be coming to God over and over again. God, forgive me. I know I did this wrong, but I can depend on this. Listen, that's a dangerous place to be, church. Third thing, please repeat this after me. Our love for God is measurable by our behavior. So what does loving God look like in practical terms? We're going to turn to a few scriptures, so please go with me to the book of John chapter 14. See what the word of God says about loving him and what he says it should look like. The book of John chapter 14 and verse 10. I'm sorry, it's 1 John, 1 John, not, not, not the book of John. 1 John, chapter 5, I'm sorry. I read the wrong scripture to you. It's all right, I don't allow to make mistakes, right? Hallelujah. 1 John, chapter 5, and verse 3. Well, you got to say so. And he says here, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Did you hear that? Did you? I, I love the last portion of that scripture. He said, this is the love of God. This is the, 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 the definition of the love of God operating in our lives. You know what it is? It is that we keep his commandments and that his commandments are not burdensome. 
In other words, his commandments are not something that are looming over our head, hanging over our head, got us depressed, got us discouraged. We can't do this. Listen, if you have problems serving God, you need to check your love for God. Because when you love him, obeying him is not a burden. It is a blessing. Hello, somebody. When you love him, you're not burdened trying to do this. The second way that we can see that we love God or the way that our love is shown is in the book of Psalms, chapter 97 and verse 10. Ninety-seven and verse ten. And when you got to say so, and this is what it said: "You who love the Lord hate evil." Period. There's actually an exclamation point in my Bible. You who love the Lord hate evil, and so you know what that means. That means that if you love God, you should be hating evil. You love what He loves, and you hate what He hates. It's an exit. This is a direct look. If you love, you love God. Hate evil. In the book of Romans, it tells us, let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Love what is good. This is what the scriptures teach. And so in my life, I really love God, then I'm going to hate what God hates. I'm not going to like the things that God doesn't like. I'm not going to be applauding or supporting the things that God is not in alignment with. The next thing, 1 John, turn back there with me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. First John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, when you got to say so. And this is what it says. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Hold on, did you, did you hear that? That's just like matter of factly. Like, look, if you love the world, the love of the Father ain't in you. This is this, this how the apostle, commun- he, he, there was no hair on his tongue about this. He goes on to continue to drive this point home. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So he says, listen, if you love this world, if you are passionately seeking to fulfill the desires of your flesh, if you're passionately seeking to fulfill the desires of your eyes, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it says that the eyes of a man are never satisfied. And so when you are not looking at the kingdom of God, when you are not focused on him, you never have enough right here. You know, when you were were younger, and I'm sure none of us do this as adults, but your, your mom ever tell you, look, don't eat with your eyes? She ever told you that? I, you know, I, 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 st- I, st- I still do this today. You know, sometimes I'm starving, and I sit down and just pile it on. And, you know, I have a bad habit. See, because my mom, she was real, they were real serious because we weren't, we didn't have all kind of money to just be throwing food away. And so my mom was like, look, if that's on your plate, you need to eat it all. Amen? Eat everything on that plate. You don't throw stuff away. So I have an issue. I always tell my wife, I'm like, listen, babe, don't serve me so much because if you serve it to me, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat all of that food that's on the plate. And so when I eat with my eyes, I force myself, and I'm in pain for, like, days because I got this pain, like, right here in my stomach. And I'm like, oh, man, this is painful. But, look, the point is that with your eyes, church, you can go on ahead and never be satisfied, not looking at what the scriptures say for our lives. That's why he's saying the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Listen, you know what the pride of life is? Is that I can have it, so why not have it? Hello. 
Listen, this is what he's saying. This is what the apostle, he's saying, that is the wrong mindset. And the way that our love for God is shown is that we don't love this world, but that we are living for the kingdom to come. Amen. First John, turn over to one more, one more chapter, one, chapter 4 there. Chapter 4, verse 20 through verse 21. Here's another way that the love of God is very clearly seen in our lives or not seen in our lives. And it says here, it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. I love it. If you say you love God and you hate your brother or your sister, you are a liar. Let me whisper it for you. You a lie. Hello, somebody. That's how we used to say, you a lie, man. You a lie. Come and tell this story. This, man, you a lie. Listen, this is what this did. This is not Bishop. Bishop didn't make this up. I didn't write a new Bible and get it to your house somehow. That isn't what happened. This is what the scripture says, but it goes on. He says, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother. <laughs> I got two awesome, so I will say awesome. You can't love. You cannot love God if you hate your brother, despise your brother. Let, 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 me, let me qualify this. Can't stand being around folks. Did you hear me? Avoiding people. Hello, somebody. All of that is all indicative that you do not love God. Listen, it doesn't mean everybody's going to be your favorite person. Hello. It doesn't mean you're going to want to hang out with every single person on planet Earth. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that you will see the value of souls. And because you see the value of souls, that will provoke you to love even the most unloving, unreasonable people. Why? Because the love of God dwells in your heart. And I want to say this as well because this is very important. It's very important that you realize that while you cannot love God without loving people, it is possible for you to love people without loving God. Hear me? Because there's a whole lot of folks out there who they feel, well, you know what? I love people. I'm a loving person. I'm a caring person and everything. And, and so that means that I love God. That does not mean that you love God. Let me give you a scripture because I want to prove it to you in the Bible. Glory to God. Turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, please. Because I want to make sure this ain't Bishop. You just say, yeah, Bishop said this, but I want you to see what Jesus said. I'm not even going to an apostle. I'm going to Jesus himself. Quoting our Lord and our Savior. Hallelujah. Look what Jesus says. Book of Luke, chapter 6, and verse 32. I love this. Look what it says. When you got to say so. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. I'm going to mess you all up real quick because you know what? If that, one, if that didn't mess you up enough, I want you to understand something. The word that is used here for love, 
this is going to mess up some theology right here. The word used for love there is the word agapeo. What does that mean, Bishop? What that means is we were taught that agapeo was the love of God. How does a sinner have the love of God? You think about that? How can a sinner have the love of God if they don't know God? You can't, church. Agapeo is that unconditional giving love. God puts it within us to do it. But here's the thing. Sinners, people who don't know God, they only apply that towards certain people. It's not unconditional across the board. It's unconditional to certain people. You see it in families all the time. An unconditional love from a husband to a wife. He don't know God, but he loves her without, with all of his being. That's agapeo, church. Hello, somebody. A parent to a child, they, they don't know nothing about God, but they love their kids better than some Christians. That's agapeo, church. Hear me. He said, sinners can love people. That doesn't mean they love God. There's got to be a difference in the way that we love. Amen? The last thing that we will point out that our life should show is compassion for others. Turn back to 1 John and we only have one more scripture to go to after this, and I will begin to close when I get to the next scripture, not this one. I just want to let you know this wasn't a pre this wasn't a pre-close, all right? I'm just letting you know. I'm just giving you giving giving you a warning because folks be telling me I closed like three times. Hallelujah. I'm trying, I'm just I'm I'm gonna close once today, glory to God. Well, I, well, I'm gonna give you the pre-close. This is a pre-pre-close, okay? And I'm gonna give you a pre-close. I'm gonna let you know I'm closing and then I'm gonna close. Amen. So y'all will know what's going on. Got to give me about 10 minutes for the whole closing process. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through verse 17. When you got it, say amen. And it says, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now notice, he is not talking to preachers here. He is not talking to leadership here. He is talking to the general assembly, the general body of believers. And so it is not just the responsibility of leaders to give their life for the assembly. No, it is everybody's responsibility to give our lives for one another, according to the scriptures, not according to me. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how how does the love of God abide in him? He's asking a question. He's saying, listen, how can you see your brother or your sister in need and not be moved to want to do something? How can that be? Where is the love of God dwelling inside of us? And so, just to sum it up, the way that our love for God is proven in our behavior is, number one, by our obedience to the word of God. Number two is by our hatred of evil. Number three is by not loving this world. Number four is by our love for others, not just those that we should love, but for the ones who are undeserving of our love. And the last thing is by our compassion for others. And here's the thing. If the love of God truly abides in us every one of our actions will either be governed by that love or will be corrected by that love when the love of God truly dwells inside of our hearts this is how you know because your decisions your treatment of people your behavior the different things that you do will either be governed by that love in other words you're going to be led to act certain ways or when you act in a way that is unbecoming of a child of God you know what you're going to do you're going to repent and you're going to allow God to correct that behavior so if the love of God is really dwelling there, you, you may not be perfected, but you're on your way to being perfected. You're in the process 
of being perfected. So this is the beauty of the love of God. And the last scripture we want to turn to is in the book of Revelation. The title of the message here is entitled, Your First Love. And here is my pre-close. I am getting ready to close. Amen. (laughs) The book of Revelation, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When you got to say amen. And it says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For him who over, for he who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, I want you to look at this with me for a moment, and, and, I, and, and I want us to not read the rebuke. I want us to read the positive things that he says about these people. He says, I know your works. So we see a church. He's speaking to the entire church generally, and he's saying, I know your works. So these are not lazy people. These are people who are working for the kingdom of God, working for the glory. He says, I know your labor. So these people are not only working, but they're working hard, okay? They're people that are intensely given to what they're doing. And he says, I know your patience. And so these people are working. They're working hard. They're working patiently. And he says, and they they hate what is evil. They cannot stand evil. They cannot stand deception. They can't stand lies. And he says, you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. These people were the most doctrinally sound church on planet earth at that time. Hear me. These people were working to the bone. Everybody. They weren't missing services. They were finding stuff to do. I mean, they were as committed as committed gets. He goes on to say in verse 3, he says, And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now, if we were to just read that, we, we, we could write that on someone's card, telling them how much we appreciate them, how great they are. Listen, you labor in the word. You know, you're a person who loves God and you, or who demonstrates a real commitment to sound doctrine. You, you, you rebuke evil. I mean, you, you hate evil. You can't say, when, when someone comes around you, you're not one of those timid Christians that doesn't say anything and just kind of walks away. No, no, no. You're right up. Yo, that, that's not God right there. You know, we could see people who are like this, who have this mentality. You don't miss church. You are there. I mean, everything. We, 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 we see this. We can see this in people. Look at what Jesus, because this is Jesus communicating. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. Oh, you know the word. And you're working hard to make sure everybody else around you knows it. You're working till you can't work anymore, and you're not growing weary. I mean, you are just going, going, going. But something has happened. You've left your first love. 
See, here's the, here's the, think about this for a moment. It is possible to serve, sacrifice, and suffer for the name of Christ and yet not really love him. Did you hear me? Because you know what's right. Because you know this is what needs to be done. And yet not know him. See, the problem is the Ephesian believers were so busy maintaining their separation, which let me pause. There is nothing wrong with being separated from sin. There is nothing wrong with challenging doctrine. There is nothing wrong with asking questions. There is nothing wrong with testing to see, does this person qualify as a leader? There's nothing wrong according to the scriptures like this. There's nothing wrong with that. The issue is when they or when you or I become more focused on our separation that we begin to neglect our adoration of who he is. We get more caught up, well, I'm staying away from sin, but I'm not being intimate with my Savior. I'm not doing what's wrong, but I'm not doing what's right. I'm not doing what's necessary. See, sometimes, church, we've got to get the mindset of our sister Mary. You see, we had these two women that were in a house. Jesus walks in the door. Well, Martha, busy up in the kitchen, washing dishes, making sure everything smells right, looks right, you know, garbage. She, 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 she's worried about all of this stuff. When Jesus walks in the door, Mary says, look, you on your own, girl. What does Mary do? Mary goes, sits at the feet of Jesus. See, there's something that you got to learn from Sister Mary because every time you see her in the scriptures, you know where she is? At the feet of Jesus. When her brother Lazarus dies, she runs out from her house. Where do we find her? The feet of Jesus. Later on, we see her washing his feet with her tears because that she understood and she found what was necessary. What did Jesus say when Martha says, aren't you going to tell her to come help me? He says, no, because she's found the thing that is necessary. Glory to God. You see, it's easy for us to get caught up in the ritual of Christianity and not being involved with the Savior who brought Christianity to pass. It is easy for us to turn away from our first love. And that is the reason why we need a checkup, church, because if you're just going through the motions, you're just going through your religious ritual, I don't care if you're reading your Bible every day. You can be reading your Bible every day ritualistically and still be missing the mark. Understand me. You can be getting down in your prayer time. And you know what have that that time or whatever and you know what just because you're going and words are flowing out of your mouth is your heart really there church you see this is when we're talking about first love it is that it's not about what I'm saying it's about where it's coming from hello it's not about how much I'm reading it's who wrote it to me it's who's speaking to me through these words. Are these words that I'm reading on a daily basis changing my life? Listen, he tells them. He says, look, you guys got to do something. You've got to repent. But before you repent, you need to remember. You need to remember. One of the things that I often do when I'm in marriage counseling with couples that will come to me is I will always ask them this question. Why? Did you get married in the first place? Why did you get married in the first place? Obviously, it wasn't this horrible when you said, I do. Because you wouldn't have got married. Hello? Something, right, brought you together. And what you've got to do is you've got to remember those days. 
And then you need to repent of whatever it is that has gotten you away from that. You get caught up in the mundane, everyday life and whatever. And then you need to repeat. Go back to doing those things that you used to do. Not the negative stuff, because if you was in the world when you first got married, don't go back to being a a heathen. Hello. (laughs) Clean it up. Glory to God. (laughs) Go out on your dates. Just leave the alcohol out. Amen. Go out to places. You ain't got to go to the clubs. Hello, somebody. Listen. Go back to doing those things. And you know what? The apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells them the same exact thing. So listen, I know your works. I know how hard you work. I know how passionate you are about doctrine. I know how devoted you are to making sure that the house of God is clean from sin and evil. And I, I, I know all of that stuff. But my issue is you have left your first love. You've forgotten about intimacy with me. And because of that, here's what happens, church. Because you leave your intimacy with him, your treatment of others becomes harsh. See, when you lose your first love with the Father, you lose that first love with him, then you know what happens? You don't treat people from the place of compassion because everything is matter-of-factly. It's nothing that comes from your heart in a way that you're supposed to love the people of God the way God calls us to. And so the question that I have for you today is, have you walked away from your first love? You might be new in this, and you're like, nope, I'm on fire, and I'm going to encourage you if you're on fire this morning, stay there. Don't forget about that place where you are. When life comes and situations happen and all of this, listen, remember that passion. Remember that devotion. Remember that place because that is where God wants us to where everything, listen, church, everything evolves around him, revolves around him, not evolves, I'm sorry, revolves, glory to God, around him. That's where he wants us. And so the question is, Is that where we want to be? Do we want to be those people? Or do we want to be those who are just good with, okay, you know, I know the Bible. I know what the scriptures say. Or do we want to be people that are truly loving God? Let's all stand to our feet and bow your heads, please.